Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast. The New York Knicks fall in Philadelphia, but another spectacular outing for R.J. Barrett. Yeah, R.J. continues to crush it. 19 points in the first half, ends up with another 30-point game by the end of it all. We're going to also talk about Cam Reddish and how he made an impact in this game. And then just sort of talk about what these last two games have meant in terms of just how far away the Knicks are compared to some of the better teams in the East. So that's all coming up next on Locked On Knicks. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. We are now available on all platforms, including, and you know this, if you see our always happy faces that were, were surgically... Uh, stretched out to look happy even when the Knicks are losing 16 of their last 19 games. If you want to see that, uh, we are now on YouTube. Uh, I am Gavin Shaw, a play-by-play broadcaster uh, covering high school and college sports, covering the uh, New York State High School basketball tournament next week. So if that's of interest of anyone, you can check it out on the NFHS Network. Uh, He is Alex Wolf, uh, much more relevant to what we're doing here Editor-in-chief of the Strickland, the greatest Knicks website out there. And Alex, it's it's a bad time to be in the Knicks business. They've lost 16 of their last 19 games. But it's also a good time to be in the Knicks business because they perhaps have their most promising young star since, dare I say, Patrick Ewing. Suck it, Chris Stapps. It's R.J. Barrett, 30 points, 7 assists, 6 rebounds in 40 minutes against the Sixers as he continues to look, uh, yeah, like the most promising young Nick in the last three decades. Yeah, I mean, one thing that was sort of impressive to me in this game, and, you know, we could get to the scoring in a minute, obviously scores 19 in the first half, 30 for the whole game. But probably the most impressive thing to me was the assists in this game. Uh, You know, I think this was one of the the first games where in in this recent tear that RJ's been on, where we've really seen him sort of embracing the, I mean, considering who he's playing against the hardness of it all, you know, like appreciating the gravity that he brings to the game and using that to create for his teammates. So a lot of drive and kick, a lot of, you know, getting into the teeth of the D finding guys on the outside for three point shots or, you know, finding cutters or, or especially with Mitchell Robinson, it, they really seem to reclaim a lot of their uh, chemistry in this game. So I, I think that this was more so than anything, an impressive game from RJ from the the dis- distributing standpoint uh, of things where he was just, you know, the vision was there. The the leverage that he's creating was fully on display now, which maybe that respect hasn't quite been there yet uh, up until this point where sometimes you don't see teams flooding him as much uh, in the paint or whatever when he, when he creates those opportunities for himself. And now we're sort of starting to see the results of like, okay, this – this guy is really starting to get a lot of respect, you know, from opposing defenses. And as a result, he's leveraging that into opportunities for his teammates. So uh, I was really impressed with that. Uh, I think first and foremost in in his performance in this game. Yeah. And, and that's, I mean, I think what we're seeing from RJ now, and I, I've said this before and I'll keep saying it, it, it's the culmination of all the skills he's built up over the years, all the strengths he's built up over the years. 
And now they're all in play simultaneously. And that was always the big struggle with RJ. One night the passing would be there, but the shot would be off. Uh, one night he'd be getting all the way to the rim, but he wouldn't be able to finish. Uh, other nights he'd be getting to the rim and getting fouled, but not making his free throws. Now it's like you, you can just check every single box with him. And, and, and the biggest thing to me that, that's so different with RJ, in the past when he'd have a great game, it felt like it was all f- brute force, right? Like, like he's, he's bullying his way to the basket and, and finding a way to get to the free throw line, or he's like just kind of like knuckleballing in a three-pointer. And now it just feels like he's in such a good flow, right? Like nothing, there, there's, no, there's no resistance. He's just like whatever the defense does, he says, okay, I have an answer to that over and over and over and over again. And it's, it's so impressive. I mean, to your point on the distribution, like opening the game, uh, taking a trick from his godfather, the Nash dribble, but instead of instead of a dribble uh, looping around the back side of the backboard, um, he throws a little slip pass to Mitch off of a Euro step, uh, hitting off the dribble threes o- around a double drag screen. That's something that, I mean, he maybe, I think I heard the stat from Macri the other day, he made 20 off the dribble threes a year ago. Now it's becoming a regular part of his game. Uh, taking a little move from Obi Toppin, like a, a fake uh, dribble handoff, um, had Tobias Harris spinning around in confusion getting all the way to the rim and finishing um, to your point, working in the pick and roll with Mitchell Robinson, like two, no look lob lob hook passes to him for dunks. Uh, the strength inside to finish going right through Paul Millsap on a double pump. I could keep going. There's a million examples but the point is um, he's finding whatever. And the Sixers are a pretty good defense. Like whatever was thrown his way, he has an answer now and he's doing so efficiently despite the fact, and we, I, I want to get more into this, but I want to throw it to you first, Alex, I would say the environment for him to work in is one of the worst of any lead scorers in the NBA. <laughs> yeah, I mean, how many years have we been saying that that RJ has been in one of the the worst development uh, you know environments possible? Um, you know, his rookie season just no spacing. Julius was at his worst that year. You know, Julius and Elf seem to be actively freezing him out. Last year, a lot. I mean. I'm not going to say that he didn't have a good season last year. And obviously he developed the three point shot a lot, but with what we're seeing now, with what he's, he's capable of. It makes you wonder like on a different team, would he have gotten, you know, on a team that was more focused on development, you know, in his second year, would he, would some of this stuff have started flashing in his second year versus his third year? Like last year, he more or less got reduced to, I mean, partly a three point shooter, you know, a spot up three point shooter. And then partly, you know, they would have him run those pistol actions with Mitch, but like this this aspect of his game, getting inside and finishing and everything that he's sort of been allowed to work on this year wasn't as much there last year. And then this year, of course, you know, he's playing his third straight year without a good point guard. You know, he had Kemba Walker, who couldn't seem to figure out how to make the offense not about him first off, and now has Alec Burks, who is literally a wing um, and just doesn't understand how to play the position. Um, and then on top of that, Julius Randle, who, I mean, I, I don't want to crap on Randle because I think he actually has been playing quite a bit better lately. You know, even if the stats don't necessarily back it up, I think he's playing a better brand of basketball now. And and that was on display in this game in the first half for sure. Um, but you know, it's just like, it, it has, it's, it's been kind of a miracle that RJ's managed to, you know, build himself into the player that he has so far considering, you know, all the things that were against him just via his own team. Um, And considering, you know, it seems like he plays quite a bit better with some of the guys that come off the Knicks bench, like, you know, quickly and Obi. And we saw Cam Reddish, who we're going to talk about in a minute, 
uh, playing really well with RJ in this game. And yet he's consistently playing most of his minutes with some of the people that he plays the worst with overall. Um, and yet is still managing to develop into, I, I think now we could pretty safely say, uh, you know, one of the, one of the more promising young stars in the league right now uh, with the way that he's been playing lately. Of course he has to sustain it, but we've now got a, a full two month sample of him playing like this and, and it's been fantastic. So uh, yeah, props to RJ for being able to even pull this off <laughs> at this point in his career. Yeah, I mean, I find the the two man game between him and Randall, or and less so the two man game, the dynamic between him and Randall. To me, that's one of the biggest things I'm watching the rest of the season. There was a play, um, I think it was late first quarter, where the shot clock is winding down. RJ has a cork maz on him, which is nominally a mismatch, but Randall is spaced at the opposite wing. And at this point, just no one in the world is respecting Randall's shot, which is crazy given how good of a shooter he was last year. But Matisse Thibel is basically sinking over and help. And it's, it's, such a, it's a weird situation and a counterintuitive one for R.J. Barrett because he actually calls Julius over to set a screen on him, even though that means a much better defender in Thibel will switch on him versus Korkmaz. But that's because if he drives, he knows Thibel's just going to come over and double team anyways. So he motions for Randall to set a screen. And instead of setting a screen, Julius just kind of positions himself at the foul line extended, and then RJ runs into a double team just trying to put his head down the drive, which is sort of, I mean, that's one of the bad habits you develop again when you play for years and no spacing. You're like, all right, I just, I got to go right into this and see what happens. Uh, Thibel pokes the ball away. Julius ends up hitting a jumper, but I don't think the the result is is a whole lot better than the process there. And, and to your point, Julius has been playing a lot better. Um, I give him credit, especially in this game. Like I thought he was pretty efficient. He didn't really, for the most part, hijack any possessions. Like he sort of just took what was given to him. But I think that's an inherently flawed combo if Julius is a 30% three-point shooter for the rest of his career. And, and the, this isn't breaking any news or, or saying anything new. But, I mean, that that's sort of the biggest challenge for RJ right now. He's either playing with Julius, who defenses don't respect, or Obi. Like, you could, you could post some of the screenshots from this game. His defenders are playing 10 feet off of him and just sinking into the lane at this point. And that, that's screwing up RJ. That's screwing up IQ. Um, so maybe that's a bigger picture conversation. But I think it's going to be really interesting to see now that RJ is becoming this guy, is becoming this star, how do the Knicks plan around that? And how do they retrofit their roster going forward to take that into account? Alex, I'm going to let you uh, respond to that. But first, I want to very quickly tell everyone about Bet Online. Football might be over for this season, but basketball is in full steam for both pro and college hoops. From all the latest odds, totals, player performance props to where the next fired coach is going to land, BetOnline.net is the number one spot for all your sports betting needs. BetOnline remains the best spot for all your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline.net is your source for hockey, boxing, and UFC odds. Right to the Olympic coverage and information you so desire. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, with that, we are back on Locked On Knicks. Uh, Alex, I'll, I'll throw it right over to you. Uh, feel free to go a different direction. But to me, that's almost, at, at this point, becoming the number one conversation point for the Knicks offseason, what lineup fits best around R.J. Barrett? And that sounds like a weird thing to say, given how poorly he played to start the season. But now, like, that should be the, the Knicks' whole focus should be, we have this guy, how do we not mess it up? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's R.J.'s team at this point. And you're going to, you know, I think what's going to speak volumes about how the Knicks feel about him is how much they offer him, you know, in, in this coming uh, extension window for him, which is going to be towards the end of free agency this year. Uh, where he can secure a rookie extension before starting the fourth year of his rookie deal. We'll have to see what the Knicks offer. You know, I, I think that that's going to say a lot about how they're feeling about him and how they're feeling about him as the potential number one option here. Another thing I think is going to 
affect this for the Knicks is <laughs> how much does this stealth tank really kick in <laughs> and how high do they get in the draft lottery? You know, I think that that's, or, you know, if at all, it, you know, history tells us the Knicks are not going to move up in the draft lottery because they never do. Uh, but if the Knicks say, you know, move up to the number two or three pick and you're staring Jabari Smith, who just had a monster game for Auburn or Paolo Benchero in the face, and you have Julius Randle on the roster already, you have a, a burgeoning young star in RJ Barrett, you know, I think that's going to affect the Knicks decision-making process a lot. Or if they even get to number one and it's Chet Holmgren, that still might also make you say, eh, you know, maybe it's time to trade Julius and we'll just lean into, you know, RJ quickly, um, Grimes and Obi and Chet as like this young core. We'll kind of do our, our thunder thing in a way and, you know, trade Julius Randle, get what picks we can for him and just kind of roll with that going forward and see what we can do around RJ Barrett. Um, which a lot of Knicks fans probably wouldn't want to hear, but the alternative is like what's happening this year, which is, you know, this team that was built to build on last year's success. But I, I think that we could safely say that, that last year's four seed was a flash in the pan at this point. And, you know, now it's all about just figuring out what's going to work going forward. And, you know, I, I could see a world where Julius Randle works going forward and I, I would love to keep him around. Um, but, you know, I think that some decisions are going to be made a lot harder by like, this is a draft that has some power forwards and centers in, in it at the top. You know, so if you luck out and you manage to get up there, I think it's time for a reset, you know, rather than keeping Julius Randle around, rather than potentially burying another draft pick behind him um, or behind anyone else. I think it's time to kind of embrace the fact that RJ Barrett has done what he has at this point and, and move towards that. But Gavin, I'll, I'll throw that back to you one more time before we uh, get to our Cam Reddish discussion here. But yeah, it's it's going to be interesting going forward to see how the Knicks prioritize Randall because I think we've seen, and it, it's crazy that this is happening under Tibbs too, you know, who has had his issues with dealing with some of the other young players and playing time and stuff like that. But it seems like even under Tibbs, Mr. Rigidity, Mr. Vets, Mr. Whatever, you know, that RJ is still taking over this team, even with him installed as coach, which makes me think by the time the Knicks get a new coach in, like, forget about it. RJ is, is far and away the number one guy on this team, and that's how they're going to be building going forward. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to tell us everything we need to know about the front office this season, right? This offseason. It's the ultimate litmus test. It's do they are they more in line with Tibbs's thinking that, oh, RJ is good, plus this is the main core of the four seed two years ago. We just got to find someone a little better than Kemba Walker and run this thing back and we're going to be set um, and bring Tibbs back. Uh, or do they see, you know what, the the higher ceiling play is to figure out what we have in all these young guys uh, and just build the best possible lineups around RJ Barrett and find the best possible complementary pieces to RJ Barrett. Uh, because w the Knicks' only goal right now should be to turn RJ Barrett into a, a number one option on a good team. And when you get the first guy, like we, we keep seeing it throughout the NBA, that tends to be when the second guy wants to come. Like look at the team, the Knicks have played the last two games, like Philadelphia, like obviously RJ is light years away from being Joel Embiid, who's one of the three to five best players on planet earth right now. But you, you can attract a James Harden in that situation. And I, I think we've, we've seen from the Knicks, they're not going to get that number one guy um, via trade or via free agency, at least anytime soon. 
Um, maybe they stumble into a, another one in the draft this year, to your point, if, if they finally get some much overdue lottery luck, but they possibly have found it organically in RJ Barrett. And I'm, I'm not ready to go that far yet. Like we need to see this like over a greater amount of consistency. He still has his struggles with efficiency. I mean, I'm, I'm what three and a half months removed from saying, I thought Emmanuel quickly was the higher upside prospect, which seems insane though, but that just gives you an idea of how poor RJ looked to begin the season. There's still more to be done there. But this is the cl- closest glimmer that the Knicks have to that. And that's how you win in the NBA long term versus y- they could just keep banging their heads against the wall forever and like and, and be the Orlando magic of the last decade where they're winning 42, 43 games. Like even if they do a good job, uh, like retrofitting this team around Julius Randle, to your point, that doesn't mean necessarily they have to get rid of Randle. I think it's more so a, a philosophical decision to say everything we do going forward is geared around making R.J. Barrett the best player possible. Yeah, for sure. I, I don't have too much more to add to that because I think we're in lockstep there. I mean, it, you know, you got to just kind of plan around RJ at this point. Uh, I figure we should talk about Cam Reddish, though, who I think had a, a really good game uh, here. He played 23 minutes or 23 and a half minutes, roughly seven points, three, six shooting, uh, one of three from deep, two rebounds, two assists, two steals. Uh, I And only one turnover, which was nice, too. Granted, I mean, I I actually think the Knicks did a very good job of limiting turnovers in general, only seven for the whole game, uh, which we'll get to in a minute. But uh, Cam, you know, I thought I thought played a really good game. Uh, I liked what he was doing, especially in transition, which seems to be sort of his bread and butter at this point. Um, we were gushing about it before we started recording his first make, which was like, I don't know, in watching it again, it was like sort of bizarre, like. He, he takes a couple – he's in transition, takes a couple steps inside the three-point line, then picks up his dribble and takes, like, not quite a Euro, but, you know, gets his way all the way from the, the right Giannis, side. Of, step, Alex. Yeah, it was. It's, like, all the way from the right side of the hoop to the left side, but then simultaneously sort of looks like he's ready to fall over, but then gets it up and and off the glass um, somehow while, while sort of, like, careening towards the baseline um, and makes one in. It was really – it was like unsmooth and totally smooth looking all at the same time. It was a, a really impressive make, but um, only had one or two really like sort of hijack moments. You know, you, you noted to me too, the the moment where he sort of looked off Obi at one point where Obi was pretty much like wide open for a, a dunk, um, which isn't fantastic, but I think Cam's starting to play pretty well. And speaking of RJ Barrett, you know, I think that he's starting to play well with RJ um, and and those two are starting to either develop or maybe rekindle some of the chemistry they had at Duke. Um, I I don't remember them actually having the best chemistry at Duke. It always seemed like Cam was sort of like the third wheel to him and Zion. Um, but I mean, I really liked what I saw out of those two. I thought they were playing well in lineups together along with quickly along with Obi. Um, probably my favorite lineup at one point there was Quickly, RJ, Cam, Obi, and Mitch. And I was like, wow, this is like every Knicks fan's wet dream right now, other than maybe having like Deuce McBride out there somehow, put a six man out on the floor. But uh, yeah, and, and Quentin Grimes, obviously, who's hurt. But I mean, I thought that was a great look. And I think that's a lineup that the Knicks should be trying out more, you know, more than these like, especially the starting lineup that just doesn't work. You know, maybe try some of these more fun lineups that actually do seem to work a little bit. And experiment more because I, I thought that was a really great look for the team yeah I mean I'm I'm all in on on Reddish and RJ playing together 30 minutes a night for the rest of the season and I know that nominally quote-unquote gets a little bit more difficult uh with uh with Quinn with Quinn Grimes returning whenever he does 
Um, bench Burks, bring Fournier off the bench, keep playing him. I don't really care. Like I, I want as many Grimes, Reddish, RJ minutes as humanly possible. Like to me, that is like the 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 version of this team that is theoretically let's not even say competing for an NBA title, competing for an Eastern Conference semifinals or Eastern Conference finals berth. It, it's it's those two Reddish and RJ, two like big alpha wings who are super long, who can both handle, who can both shoot, who can both pass, who can both defend. Uh, plus Quentin Grimes in there who can do all those things as well, except maybe not get all the way to the rim the same way as those other guys would mix up for it by being a much better three-point shooter. Like you have those three guys as your core. You find a way to get a Jalen Brunson. Uh, you get either Mitchell Robinson or someone who could shoot a little bit more while still giving you a little rim protection at the center position. Like that, that should be a scary thing for the rest of the NBA, theoretically. Because again, as much as I'm saying like RJ, there's still a lot of room to grow. For Cam, there's, I mean, there's a million steps between now and then. But he's also he's a guy who scored what like twenty one points in in the game six in in a game six last season. Uh, there, there's there's a reason to be excited about him. There's a reason I, I don't think this was just a nicety that Travis Schlenk on the way out of Atlanta said, "Hey, I wouldn't be surprised if this guy is an all star eventually. He is just not a positive player right now." And the Knicks, by and large, um, last two games not included, have been far worse with Cam Reddish on the court. I think there's something like minus twenty per hundred possessions, and that tells you, I mean, he's still a guy who just has to, I mean, similar to RJ has to learn how to calibrate different aspects of his game has to become, I mean, just flat out a smarter basketball player it is, is fantastic at stealing the ball, but has to be more consistent defensively. I can list a million improvements for Cam Reddish, but the body type, the ability to work in small spaces, uh, the finishing ability in traffic uh, it's cliched, but those are things you cannot teach. And those are things that no other wing on the Knicks roster. I mean, even RJ to some extent, don't have quite to the same degree that Cam does. So the idea of building around those two plus Grimes, like that is what you want in the modern NBA, big switchable athletic wings that can do a whole lot of different things offensively. And it gives this Knicks team, again, at this point, an entirely theoretical ceiling uh, that is different than even what last season's team had when they were playing really well together. Well, we'll be back in just a second to talk about the Knicks team as a whole and uh, some of the, some of the things that, you know, maybe when we're talking about ceilings, this team clearly, as constructed, does not have the highest ceiling. It was kind of on full display in these last two games against the Sixers. But I just want to let everybody know this episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why would you want to endure all that pointless or intimidating questioning about, like, the model of your car, the trim package, blah, blah, blah. And wait for the person behind the counter to order the parts on their computer, choosing only the brand their warehouse happens to carry. And more specifically, what's going to make them the most money. You guys have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. You can save time and money when you use Rock Auto. Why would you want to spend 30%, 50%, or even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or car dealership? For example, you can get a Honda Odyssey fuel pump for the family van for $353 from a chain store. Just $216 from rockauto.com. That's a huge savings, over $140. That's like a nice dinner out for the family. You can go take them out with all the money you save on Rock Auto. Rock Auto is a family business, too. They've been serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years, so you know they're going to look out for you and what you need and making sure that you have a pleasant experience. And their prices are reliably low for every customer, not just for mechanics, which is definitely something you run into at those uh, legacy auto parts stores. 
So go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. And if you decide to buy something right, locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Certainly the perfect time to go work on the car right now. It feels gorgeous outside. So definitely go take advantage of the nice weather. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Rockauto.com. Um, yeah, so Gavin, I I, <laughs> I just had to real quick, speaking of speaking of Knicks fan wet dreams, I had to just like when you were saying about that lineup potentially where you yeah. have like go get a Jalen Brunson, then you have RJ Cam and Grimes out there as like your two to four, which is actually really intriguing because it's like extremely switchable, maybe gets abused a little bit by like bigger fours. But how many of those are there really in the NBA right now that not play consistent minutes? You know, not a ton. Uh, maybe it's like the Cavs you would get a little messed up by at this yeah. point, but like, you know, that and then plus, like I, my brain started turning and I'm like, Oh my God, lottery luck. If you could get Chet Holmgren to add to that. Oh, oh talk about, I mean, that would just be such a crazy lineup. That'd be you so know, we should, we should just do it. Let's just do it. Let, let's let the Knicks win the lottery guys. Come on, Adam, make it happen. Yeah, Let's just call Adam Silver up right now and just get him to rig this thing. Cause that's a lineup yeah. I need to see. That would the league like not be better much. with the Knicks having that lineup. Come on. Just the league would be better. I mean, I don't understand how Adam Silver doesn't see it. Um, but speaking of, you know, while we're while we're sort of uh, thinking about the future here, in the present, one thing that's really stood out to me these last two games is like just and and uh, Matthew Miranda wrote something similar about this on the Strickland um, in the the game recap prior to this game, but like it, it these two games are just sort of underscored just how far apart the Knicks are from and a team that's actually playing for something right now. And I know that, like, we all, I mean, I especially fell for this. I think you were a little, you were you were slightly more realistic coming into the season, so I give you props for that. But I was definitely on, like, the 50-plus wins train. Like, oh, could this team win 50? Could they be a three seed? Maybe they'll get better, you know, whatever. Yeah, and, I, did, I did think they were going to have a top five offense. So I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll take my share of blame. But yeah, go so, ahead. So, I mean, you know, we, we had our delusions of grandeur, but we've seen how this all has played out this year. And, you know, some of it could be blamed on Tibbs, but certainly another part of it is just, I mean, injuries have played their part. COVID played its part earlier in the season, but every team had to deal with that at some point this year. But it really, this team just is lacking in the talent department in many ways. And I think that these last two games have really underscored. Like, I thought last night's game with the way that Julius and RJ played in the first half, the Knicks like barely turned the ball over. Um, I didn't look at the stats. I think it was, I think they only had in the first half like three total turnovers as a team. Uh, yeah, three turnovers as a team in the first half. Um, RJ and Julius both going off. Like RJ shot six of 12 for 19 points. Julius was seven of 15 for 16 points. I mean, what more could you ask for out of those guys? But then Alec Burks and Evan Fournier just like kind of don't show up again. Um, and quickly played pretty well, but, you know, only got 10 and a half. Well, yeah, I guess that's not the worst amount, but 10 and a half minutes were quickly in the first half. And so it's sort of just like, I don't know. I, th I think that it, to bring this all full circle, these last two games have really kind of underscored, like the Knicks are not good enough right now that even if they play their best for parts of a game, they're not good enough to beat an actually good team like the Sixers are right now. Like the Sixers have actual title aspirations, actual playoff aspirations. The Knicks gave them their best shot in the first half and even held a lead for, I think, the whole first half. And then 
the Sixers kind of just in the second half said, okay, it's our turn and turned it on and almost mimicked the exact score that they put up on the Knicks the other day uh, when the Knicks also sort of kept things close for, for a little while until the Sixers just kind of put them away. So, you know, I think this is all this is to say the Knicks really need to just be realistic about where they're at right now. I, I really wish where this would ultimately end up is that Tibbs starts playing guys like Deuce McBride down the stretch, starts playing Cam Reddish more minutes, starts reducing Alec Burks's minutes some, which, you know, I, I saw Ian Bagley suggest like that maybe that would hurt the locker room dynamic and offend vets or whatever. But if I'm Alec Burks and, and the situation is spelled out clearly for me, like, Hey, we're now, what is it? 13 games under 500 now. I mean, this season's not going anywhere. We have to see what we have in these younger guys. You've been on rebuilding teams before, Alec Burke, so you understand how this goes. He was on, like, the really bad Warriors team a couple years ago and all that stuff. Like, he knows how this stuff goes, you know? So I, I think that that's just where the focus needs to go at this point uh, so that the Knicks can take a realistic assessment of the young guys on the team and then, more importantly, take a realistic assessment of where this team is at the end of the season and start making some moves that are more geared around, like, building around their, their burgeoning young star in R.J. Barrett more so than trying to build off the success of last year, which I, I think we can pretty clearly agree with at this point was not anything sustainable. Yeah. Alex, you were apologizing for our delusions of grandeur before the season. Tibbs has delusions of grandeur 16 to 60 games in still. Yeah. <laughs> he still thinks he still thinks they're going to win the championship. No, no, nobody's told him. Nobody's told him that this team sucks. It's insane. Um, and the idea that it's his job at this point, to cater to the ego of an Alec Burks or an Evan Fournier. If you have a LeBron James and you don't want to bench LeBron James down the stretch of the season, I understand that. You are not doing that for Alec Burks and Evan Fournier. It tells you what a sad state of affair of affairs this franchise is in. If, that, if that's how we're operating, we're like, we cannot offend Evan Fournier. Oh, don't want to piss off Alec Burks. What if he doesn't play as hard next season? That is insane. And it's even more insane because I think those guys are professionals. And to your point, they'll get it. They've been in the NBA a long time. They know how these things work. And if they wanted it to work differently, they could have played better and won more games. And, and again, I don't think Burks is thinking like that. I don't think Fournier is thinking like that. They're thinking we did our best. This hasn't worked. Uh, it's Tibbs's job to shepherd the franchise in the best long-term direction. And again, especially for someone who has been in a management role in the past in Minnesota and allegedly has some influence in terms of the Knicks personnel moves now. If you're going to be a front office guy and a coach at the same time, well, then you have to have a long-term mindset. You don't get to just be win every game. You have to think about the next 20 games, the next five years. And if you're thinking about the next five years, Alec Burks is not relevant to the Knicks in five years. Evan Fournier is not relevant to the Knicks, maybe even in as little as three or four years. Uh, Deuce McBride probably won't be either, but he could be. And you need to find that out. Um, I, I don't know how else to say it. We've, we've been making the same point over and over and over again. But at this point, it is simply insane that that that's not being seen by this team yeah pretty much i mean i, I don't know what 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 else more there is to say after this game but yeah i think that you know as if the what, what are we at now 16 out of 19 so as if the 14 out of 17 losses hadn't told us enough about you know the the status of this team i just really feel like these last two against the sixers have really really hammered at home that, that this team has nothing left to play for as far as wins and losses go. You know, I, I, I haven't even looked at the playoff picture recently because why? Like, what's even the point 
at this point, but I'm fairly certain that the Knicks are like a, a good deal out of the the playoff picture at this point. Five, five games out of the plan right now. Yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, five and a, or four and a half, but or whatever, you know, like the Hawks are sitting at 29 and 32. The Knicks are 25 and 37. I mean, you're, you're closer at this point to the Pacers at 22 and 42, you know, as far as gaining another lotto spot than you are uh, to the, the Hawks as far as gaining the, the play in spot. And if you get the play in spot, what is that? give you that gives you an opportunity to probably get smoked by the Hornets again who have been the team that's like the Knicks kryptonite the last few years and if you miraculously make it past them then you're probably facing one of Toronto or Brooklyn for the eight seed and that's not gonna happen but then let's say that you even beat them then you get the opportunity to be the eight seed and get demolished by the Miami Heat who have been the other team that has probably had your number more than any team in the last you know the last two years so, you know, there's just there's no point at this point in in chasing, you know, this this play in, you know, fantasy of of getting into the play in for some reason, because the play in just puts you just gives you more opportunities to get embarrassed at this point, you know, and I don't see why the Knicks would be so enthused by that. I think I think anyone, you know, any player around the league, if you're trying to like sell them as a free agent or as a you know, a, a trade target that you're trying to get to force their way to New York or whatever. Like you, you can't say to anybody like, Hey, look, we made the, we made the 10 seed. What, isn't that super impressive? They know what, they know what the deal is. And they would probably say, no, it was stupid that you didn't, you know, at least like play some of these young players. You know, I think players understand the game as well as anybody else. And they all want to play, but they all also understand like, you know, you need to prioritize things properly and, and start gearing up for the next year. If one season is totally in the tubes. And Tibbs is the only one that doesn't seem to understand that. I, I still, I mean, I get the feeling that we're not going to see a coaching change this year, but I, I still wish that there would be one. Um, unfortunately, I, I just don't think that's going to be the case. But, uh, it, you know, we'll, we'll see just how far Tibbs is willing to go as far as sacrificing, you know, getting reps for some of the young players on the team, like a Deuce McBride, for example, who's sort of the, the latest in the long line of, of guys that can't seem to get any run. Uh, despite the fact that he's like just <laughs> ripping the guts out of the G League on a nightly basis, but I don't know. Anyway, rant over. I can't. I can't rant anymore, Gavin. Uh, do you have anything you want to close out on, or or should we just wrap up the show here? You know what, Alex? Sixteen losses in nineteen games didn't do it. I think seventeen losses in twenty. That that'll that'll be when he changes. Uh, with That's that, this is it. <laughs> this episode of Locked On Knicks. He's Alex Wolf. I'm Gavin Shaw. Uh, please, if you haven't yet. Be sure to subscribe on YouTube. Uh, throw us some likes. Throw us some comments. Uh, we love interaction. I I'm going to try to get a little bit more active about responding to our YouTube comments. So get in on the conversation. Uh, until next time, be good. Peace out.